I can't help but have Georgia on my mind. Not the state, but the country. It's a place where I have loved the food and traveling to the capital, Tbilisi, is always one of my favorite places I have been to and visited in the entire world. Today's guest, we talk about some of the food and some of the experiences she's had in Georgia, the country, and we dive into other great locations uh, such as Lisbon. We talk about Venice. We talk about making friends abroad and a whole bunch of other great food (laughs) topics. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome to the Nomadic Foodist Show, a podcast for food-obsessed travelers. My name is Chris, your host, and I help people find amazing food all around the world. In today's show, we have Joanne, who is the blogger behind Seas Food Will Travel, and she talks about all sorts of amazing places she's traveled to, the delicious food, of course, she's eaten, and some amazing recipes that she is sharing with everybody whenever she has something absolutely delicious that she's eaten. So it's pretty cool that she has a mix of both. And even if you can't travel, maybe you can try some of those dishes that she's experimented with. And today's episode, we talk about Georgia, the country, and specifically Tbilisi, the great food, the great wine, and all those experiences. We dive into some details about Lisbon, Portugal, which is, of course, one of my favorite places and how great the seafood is there. And we just kind of riff off that for a little bit. And we talk about Venice, Italy, and how even though it is a big place for tourists and how she had an amazing time there despite the popularity. And then I just love meeting people abroad. So we kind of discuss what it's like to make some friends or to say yes to new experiences and how that can make your travel that much more special to you and make amazing memories with new friends from around the world. So here is my interview with Joanne from SeasFoodWillTravel.com. Joanne, thank you so much for joining us today. We're really excited to hear about your food and travel adventures around the world, but let's go ahead and start off with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your blog. Sure, and I just want to say thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Um, my name is Joanne, and I run a blog called Seas Food Will Travel, where I write about food and all the delicious things I've eaten during my travels, but also try to recreate some of those dishes at home. Oh, okay. Well, um, what has been one of your uh, most current food recipes you've been trying to, I guess, piece together from your travels? Well, right now I'm doing kind of like a tour around the city, trying all the different types of kinkali because I currently live in Tbilisi, Georgia. And I'm trying to learn about the different dough techniques that they use to make kinkali and also the different fillings that I learned are um, different across the different regions of Georgia. So that's kind of where I'm at right now, tasting kinkali, going back home, trying (laughs) to make it. Oh, such a tough job. Oh, no. Oh, that's so difficult (laughs) to do, you know, eating, cooking and eating again. (laughs) It actually is. I have to admit, actually, it is hard work actually trying to recreate recipes and trying to like taste. I'm like, okay, I can remember this kind of flavor note. Do you, do you ask them like at the Kankali houses or the restaurants, like what do they do to like make their so special? Yeah. So, I mean, I'm very passionate about food and like one of the things I really want to make sure I do when I make these recipes is 
try to uphold as much of the traditional taste as possible. Mm-hmm. And I'm pretty, because I'm really curious person, I'm pretty shameless in asking a lot of questions. Oh, good. <laughs> so when like we go to restaurants and I see the different types of kinkali options, like a kalakuri versus a mitiolari kinkali, what is in it? Um, for like mitiolari kinkali, sometimes it's like really spicy at certain restaurants. Sometimes it's not spicy, it's more salty. So I'll ask them, what spice did you add here? Why is it so spicy? And um, they're more than happy to like run back and go back in the kitchen and ask like the kinkali ladies, like <laughs> what your spices are. Yeah. Um, so they're very helpful here in sharing and they're, they love it too. When, you know, you ask about their food and you're curious about their food and they're very um, helpful and generous and describing, you know, like what the background is and why they decided to make their food a certain way. So I think that pride is really shows through a lot Absolutely. of um, the food. Yeah. 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 Well, that's, that's really cool because I'm always a little bit scared to ask because I'm afraid the chefs are, the people will be, it is a heavily guarded secret. You can't know what makes this delicious thing so amazing, but it's good that you're, you're not afraid. You just go in there and, and ask. And what have you learned about the different types of Kankali? Well, pause real quick. Let's just, for those who don't know, describe what Kankali is and then yeah. like kind of walk us through what you've kind of discovered on this little like food journey of the different styles and types. Yeah, so Kinkali, are you familiar with like XLB Shaolong Bao's, right? Like soup dumplings from Taiwan. Oh, I am, yeah. It's like an extra, <laughs> I'm sure. And um, and you've been to like Din Tai Fung and have had like, uh-huh. you know, like that really soup field dumpling. And it's similar to that, but like five times bigger. And um, it actually came from um, uh, the mountainous regions of Tbilisi. So it's an extra large soup dumpling that's like the size of your palm. And inside it's filled with um, most likely the traditional ones is meat with soup. And the meat's usually spiced by, they call them, the answers I get sometimes is just mountain spices. <laughs> but <laughs> the more that I ask that I learn, it's like cumin, pepper, crushed red pepper. Um, so it's very rustic. Uh, blend of seasonings and uh, they mix it up with the meat and add some water and then put the meat inside this dough and they wrap it up boil it in water um, and serve it to you at the restaurants you'll usually have to order them about five I think is the minimum order but some restaurants allow you to order like one at a time but generally you want to order in um, groups of five like minimum so also, you have to eat a certain way. Well, <laughs> yes, sure. yes. And when, been, when you were in Tbilisi, you learned how to eat that specific, like the rules around King Kali. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> you you, you yeah. have to follow it. Bite the whole, you know, you have to hold it by like the, 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 right. the, the stem at the top. Um, yeah, all, all that sort of stuff. It's It's a really fun way, I think, to eat a soup dumpling. Yeah, it's super fun. Um, and the, the ritual involved the ceremony of eating it upside down, biting the whole, um, sipping the soup is uh, very specific to Kinkali. Um, the stem is all called actually like kucha, like a stomach. Oh, and, okay. And that's how, that's like the name of that like little end piece that you 
don't eat, right? And then you just leave it on your plate so you can keep track of how much you've um, eaten. And usually you would eat kinkali also with beer um, in the mountains. They don't have grapes. I know, to, you know, like George is known for their wine, but in the mountain regions, they can't grow grapes in the mountains, but they do also still make their own alcohol. And that's most similar to beer. So we eat kinkali with beer. And that's the combination usually that you would see in the restaurant. And so a lot of restaurants that serve kinkali also serve um, draft beer as well. So then the real question is, which do you prefer? Like the Taiwanese <laughs> soup dumplings or the Georgian kinkali? <laughs> you know, oh, this is so hard because I love <laughs> Taiwan. I've been to Taiwan like six times. And I think Taiwan is like one of those places that I'm always going to come back to for the rest of my life. Um, but King Kali is, and I would still say, uh, Taiwanese dumplings are, are still like my favorite, but having done, having done all this tastings of the different King Kali, there's one specific type of King Kali that has, it's, it's like really close to beating it. And that would be like the Chichetti style King Kali, which is lamb. And it's like a mix of like lamb and beef sometimes. And that is just so tasty and it's just so unique. Um, and you can't find it in a lot of the restaurants in Tbilisi, but there is one restaurant, Chemo Cargo, that does lamb king collie. And it is, it's like I go there maybe like <laughs> once every two weeks yeah. when I have king collie cravings. It really is a great city, Tbilisi. And my wife and I have been back twice. We've talked about before our next trip, we're going to Asia and we're trying to decide where to kind of stop for a little bit before we head over to Southeast Asia. And I don't know, Tbilisi is always in the conversation because we love it right. so, so, so much. The food is astronomically delicious. People are really nice and generous. The prices for everything are very reasonable. And I don't know, even though there's not like a whole bunch of like crazy fun things to do in the city from my experience it's still like a good city to kind of hang out and just like i don't know eat around try different kankali houses eat kachapuri and i don't know drink lots of lots and lots of delicious the best wine you'll ever have in your entire life it's just like a good food spot you know yeah it's definitely one of those places that i i actually do find it similar to taiwan where you show up or taipei and you show up and you're just like eating and drinking and that's <laughs> yeah. like most of the time and like like everybody's really open to like like drinking with you because that's the kind of culture that they have here and you have a lot of opportunities to um like drink with locals we get approached a lot especially like at restaurants when they see that you know we're drinking wine or we're eating not the typical um touristic foods that um, people would eat and they're curious and they ask us where we're from and then eventually we're like sharing a table and we're doing shots of cha-cha together oh, and yeah. um, everybody's just so always just so welcoming and it's just so easy to meet locals here and um, how long you been living in Tbilisi now um I've lived I've been here for uh four years we moved here me and my husband moved here shortly after a wedding in San Francisco. 
um, in October 2019. So a few months before COVID. And we had planned on moving here to kind of just spend like one month here. We had a friend who had visited Tbilisi back in 2016. And he had told us, you know, if you if you want to go somewhere for your trip after a wedding, um, Tbilisi is a really great place. And he did, could not stop talking about the food. So we had it, we had added it on our list as kind of like a last minute city because we had planned on being kind of like digital nomads, like staying in one place for one month at a time. Um, but two weeks after we arrived, we got a lease. <laughs> oh, wow. We were like, we love it here. And this is fine. Like, this is great. Um, and people are just really welcoming. And our landlord to this day has been our landlord from the beginning. And she's like a family member to us. So um, I felt like we've had a really exceptional experience just arriving in Tbilisi and like moving in. <laughs> oh, absolutely. And it's pretty interesting how and like where it's located. You know, you can kind of hop around to a few different places between like Europe and Asia pretty easily, I feel like, just on a short flight and make it to a few other really cool destinations in the area. Right. So that is actually what we... Um, well, right before COVID happened, we were able to travel to, we've had this like bucket list of like going to Christmas markets and visiting Christmas markets in Europe. So we were able to visit quite a number of Christmas markets that winter. And we came back in January. And then like February is when things started shutting down for COVID. And I mean, circumstances, due to those circumstances, we got stuck here for COVID um, for the next year and a half. Yeah. But it was, it was probably the best thing that could have happened to us. I think like Tbilisi was a sanctuary at that time. Mm -hmm. um, my husband's type one diabetic. I have asthma. So we couldn't like leave like yeah. our house. <laughs> we had to really socially distance ourselves and, um, we also weren't vaccinated at that, at that time. So uh, Tbilisi was like a really good place to also just like stay put. And then when we were able to get our vaccines, we also were able to travel to Portugal, uh, London, all of like Central Europe. It was it's a really easy to um, go back and forth. All right, I'm sold. I think we should. Yeah. I should move over to, to Georgia now. <laughs> Do it. Highly encourage you to give it a try. Uh, at least like two weeks, and then I'm pretty sure you'll also get a lease. Oh goodness, yeah. How hard is it to get a lease? Like, I'm actually curious now. Like, no, no, no. I can pick your brain. <laughs> yeah. Um. A lot of people. Uh, well, so about I think it's 65 countries. If you have a citizenship from 65 countries, you can come and live in Georgia for one year, visa free, and um, that's what a lot of people who are expats like myself do. And they work remotely. So my husband works for a remote company in Seattle. I'm a freelancer, and. Um, we had planned on going to all these different countries that allowed you to stay for like 90 days, six months. Um, but when we arrived in Tbilisi, we learned that you can stay here for a year. Yeah. And um, 
because you can stay here for a year, you can get a six to a one year lease. And so you can just look up a realtor and yeah. And they'll help you find an apartment and tell them how long you're staying for. And settle in. Yeah. I just, I love the city. I love the feel of it. Just walking around the streets. I don't know. There's something special about it for me. Maybe it's a bit romantic and I like the feeling of maybe living in a place or staying in a place that's kind of a well-kept secret and not many people like American tourists are going to go to necessarily. It's like, oh, like I feel, I feel like I'm special here and I'm doing something really cool and adventurous, but really it's, it's just a fun place and lots of good food. And I think, I think it matches my kind of style of eating, you know, a lot of, I don't know, I guess homey kind of dishes, nothing too fancy or too out there. It's just really delicious. When I ate Concali for the first time, it just blew my mind. It was it was amazing. And I'm sorry, I actually like Concali more than oh. uh Taiwanese soup dumplings. But mm-hmm. um for me, it's just I don't know, this like fist size like thing. And I'm like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. And the first time like I had it. I remember too. It was like after like drinking, like going out. Yes. And then it was like three o'clock in the morning because these Kinkali houses can stay open 24 hours. And right. I just, it was the most amazing feeling to just suck down this delicious warm soup in this dumpling and just go to town on these things. And they're all like, I don't know, a dollar or two each. I'm trying to remember now. It's just so inexpensive, very delicious. And then that's only scratching the surface, you know, of, of Georgian cuisine in general. Right. You're making me want to go to, I, there is one like really close, like literally 300 meters from my apartment. And I'm now tempted to go after this <laughs> go and get some King Kali because yes, they are open 24 seven and yes, they have beer. Yes. Um, yes. Good stuff. <laughs> yeah, um, really good. Well, I'm curious now, like, how did all of your blog and your travels kind of get started? I mean, what sparked you to start traveling the world and start documenting all these things on the internet? So my blog started as kind of just a pandemic hobby. I had a lot of time on my hands between like 2021 and uh, 2020, 2022. And I found myself because we were stuck at home a lot. Um, I found myself missing a lot of foods from my travel, just also missing Asian food in general. You don't get a lot of East and Southeast Asian food here in Tbilisi, and you would have to make them at home. So I started learning how to make Filipino food and Filipino. So, and I was born in the Philippines. So I missed that home cooked meals from the, from my parents and um, my family. And then I grew up in Hawaii, so I miss Hawaii, like, local food. So I was, like, learning how to make those and just trying to, like, recreate dishes from, like, my memory. And then I also lived in Korea. I was really missing South Korean food. Um, and I wanted to, like, showcase them. And I that's where I started the blog. And then when I started traveling... I realized like, oh, I want to make a list of all the places I've eaten. So um, when we started traveling again to Portugal, to London, um, Switzerland, I wanted to make sure that like I record the those uh, those things that I've eaten that were just so delicious, especially Portugal was amazing. 
It is. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. Absolutely. That was like, <laughs> Portugal is mind blowing. It's food wise and wine wise and wine too. Um, and that's kind of where I started with a blog. And now um, we're actually moving back to the US at the end of this year or early next year. And this is kind of like my senior lap around Tbilisi. So I want to make sure that I showcase the food here as much as I can because they deserve it. They work really hard for their food and it's a very rich culture. And so I want to plan on, I want to take this blog more seriously in terms of showing the type of food and, and that's out there and what people are missing out on. Oh, absolutely. Man, quit selling Georgia so hard, though. I don't want too many people to go now. <laughs> I know. Oh, I just, yeah, it's a secret. It's so tough. Oh, my goodness. It's like so out of the way. You have to travel so far. Now, I actually tell a lot of people who ask me, what is like your favorite country or what one of your, mm-hmm. your favorite cities you've traveled to? And actually, I say three things. Usually, it's Tbilisi, Georgia, Lisbon, Portugal, and Hanoi, oh, yeah. Vietnam are like, like my three top three favorites we can talk about all three of those <laughs> oh, if you want. Oh, okay. i have some like <laughs> i have some like food notes on those of, oh that my we goodness definitely talk about um yeah i also really did you get to go to porto no uh we didn't get a chance to unfortunately it was just we're just hanging out in lisbon for a little bit over a month that's where we kind of stayed but Nice. It gives us a reason to go back, reason to go back to yeah. Portugal. <laughs> yeah, Porto is great. It looks beautiful and it is, I have heard it is different. So I just, I just want to eat everything there. You know, it's uh, with Lisbon, yeah. I, I just barely scratched the surface. I've written a few blog posts um, and my, you know, best restaurant posts for Lisbon's on the front page of Google. So if anyone Googles, you know, best right. restaurant Lisbon, you can find my, the mm-hmm. restaurants that I love, I'll put them in the show notes of this page too, but there's, there's so much good seafood. And I've, I've said this before on the podcast, but the, the seafood in Portugal just tastes a lot different than anywhere else I have ever yes. tried. I don't know yes, why. I, I 100% agree with you. Like, I think <laughs> um, there's this oct- octopus I had in Porto that like there's a very few times and it's kind of like my my food memories in terms of like the things that stand out to me are the ones that make me go like what did I just eat right like when you see when you see something and you think it's going to taste one thing but it's totally not that that's kind of like the ones those are the ones that kind of like stick to me Um. so the um polvo a la I'm butchering it la guerrero um, it was like roasted, this roasted uh, octopus that I assumed was going to be like chewy, but it was, it just melted in my mouth. And that's <laughs> the best thing that I can describe. It was like, and it was served with like potatoes and vegetables, but the octopus was like slicing it. You could slice it with your fork. It was like butter. Yep. Um, yep. That was amazing. Yeah, I... Uh well the, a lot of different things are really unique about about portugal one of my favorite things i ate was this really cheap sandwich it's called a, a bafana is what it's called it's, it's this thinly sliced pork that's like stewed for a little bit in like this red wine kind of sauce and then it's put on this bun that's made out of sweet potatoes 
And then you just put a little bit of mustard on there. You have like a beer. It was, I think one sandwich was like two euros. And it was just wow. one of my favorite things like ever because it's so inexpensive, but it's mm-hmm. so delicious. I just wish that I could have that now. It's one of those uh, sandwiches that just really just, it haunts me. You know, I'm not sure many people out there yeah. have that, like where like a food like haunts them. You're like, yes, oh, that would be it right now. That's one of them for me because it's just the price point and like the taste. I would have paid probably like $10 for just one of those little sandwiches, but it really is absolutely amazing. And then you go into like the whole sardine thing, you know, oh, and yes. how their sardines are great. It's not like in the United States where it's kind of like, I guess, you know, trash food or like food that you just have to eat. If you're really, really desperate, you have to eat canned sardines, but over there it's an art form, right? Like, like what? Oh, it is. Um, yeah. What, what did you think of all the sardines and such? Um, I'm a big fan of Anthony. So first of all, the Bufana sounds like it's like the perfect thing to have after walking all those hills in yeah. Lisbon when yeah. it's like really hot as like the sun's like really high and you just want like a beer and a good sandwich. That sounds amazing. It, oh, um, it absolutely is. Yeah. <laughs> the, uh, so I'm a big fan of Anthony Bourdain and I, Wanted to go to this Tardine restaurant, Sole Pesco, Pesca. Have you heard of that restaurant? Um, I probably have. I've yeah. seen I've seen all the, the Portugal episodes that he's done. Yeah. And well, so we had stayed in Case de Sodre, which is like where that restaurant was. So we were able to visit. And I was thinking they were just going to serve us like sardines and cans that's just been like half open and we pick it with our forks. But what they do is they take the sardines and present from the cans and present it to you and like squeeze lime and cho- and put chopped herbs on top of them. And then they serve it to you with hot bread. So I think the hot bread is the key where you can soak up all of that oil yeah. with the fish and, and put the fish on top and eat it. It's That was a really like different experience for me because um, – I eat as a Filipino person, I eat a lot of cancer deans. <laughs> and my experience of eating cancer deans is you you throw it in a pan and you mix it up with like some eggs and you fry it and eat it with rice. And that's a really fast food style type of food to make. It's not supposed to be pretty or nice, but this presentation that they had in Lisbon with the fish and the fresh, like hot, fresh bread was, was just a really good, a different ex- miles above what I know sardines to be. It totally elevated it. Yeah. It's such a simple process too, but it's still complex and there are tons of different canneries all over Portugal. But when you have one of those canned sardines and you put on the bread and you eat it that way and it is, I don't know, eat. I'm trying to figure out how to describe this because it doesn't taste like you're eating fish necessarily. There's like a slight hint, you know, of like a taste of seafood in there, but it's like its own unique flavor, the way they do it in Portugal, because the way they do it in the United States, it's just not very good. I don't know. It's too fishy. It's too strong. Has this weird kind of like metallic-y kind of taste from being in a can maybe. Maybe that's all like a 
psychological thing, but it's just not very good here in the United States. But when you get the good stuff from like Portugal, like, and the good stuff is like everywhere. They're, they're at the grocery store. You don't have to go far to find really good canned sardines. But when you eat it, it's like, wow, like this is, this is special. <laughs> like, this, is, this is really good. <laughs> yeah. I, I had one that tasted, I went to a, one of the uh, historical cancer Dean stores. I forgot the name of it, but I asked I, me and my questions. I asked the man behind the counter what his favorite sardine was, and it it wasn't sardine. I think it was herring. Oh, interesting. Cod. I think it was cod. But he said, "Don't eat this like a sardine. Eat it. Eat it like." in a sandwich put the sl- the fillets in a sandwich and he told me put arugula on it put uh tomatoes on it and then um close you know put the sa- the other half of the sandwich on top and this is how you eat it it was very specific about how to eat this cod and the cod was not fishy it, it was almost like a soft meat jerky interesting yeah and so it it it's Felt like you were eating a steak sandwich, but it wasn't really a steak sandwich. It was fish. Um, so that was awesome. Yeah, I totally understand what what you mean by by how different they they do fish and sardines there. Yeah, when we were just exploring some of the different parts of the cuisine and the seafood parts and the the, the, the clams were astronomically great Mm -hmm. just this like garlic white wine clams and you can find them just about everywhere seafood rice same thing you can find that just about anywhere and then you just kind of like dive into just a little bit more of maybe some of the specialty restaurants or what they have to offer at least in lisbon and it was it was just crazy i i have to pull up this this post now like we're where i probably can't even pronounce the name correctly but there was one of the restaurants it was it was amazing. And one of the things they served us was this finely shaved, fried uh, mori eel. And I've never had that. I've never thought about eating it or eating it that way. And it just blew our minds. Just a little, a little squeeze of lemon on top. And you're just in this wonderful food land. (laughs) It's like it transported us somewhere else. We just didn't know what we're eating at first because they kind of told us what it was. And we didn't quite understand. There's a little bit of a language barrier, but we're just like eating it like it's like the best beer snack in the world because it's salty, it's fatty, and it just has this great texture. And then we looked it up later. I'm like, that was moray eel. Like, man, who would have thought (laughs) eating this like big kind of like scary looking eel and just be prepared in such a beautiful, simple, delicious way. And they just kind of let the seafood kind of do its own thing. And I think that's, that's pretty amazing. Was it shaved? So the shaved mori eel was it served as a side to drinks? Um, no, um, no, no. It was like a small like tapas kind of style where like you you order a bunch of like small plates and you share. But Mm -hmm. to me, that would be like one of the best beer snacks because of how of how it was. It was just like I don't know, better than like French fries or something. (laughs) Yeah, I love beer snacks. I love discovering the different type of drinking or food, food that goes with drinking. I love all types of beverages, but I enjoy cultures that have 
a drinking culture that has food tied to it. So when I lived in Korea, there was like the anju where you eat that you eat with beer, and then um, King Kali you have it in Georgia too. Um, but I I would have loved to try Portuguese tapas with drinks. Yeah, I yeah. Didn't get to have a chance to do that. Let's see. This restaurant's called Taberna Albrick. Coke. Ugh, I'm sorry. That sounds temp- sounds terrible the way I pronounced it. But I'll put in the show notes the page. But yeah, it was it was really really good. Like if, it's on my my blog post. I'll uh, the picture okay. just like the shaved like more eel with some like lemon. It was just man, it really was good. And then they do like seasonal cooking there. So I'm not sure if anyone who's listening that wants to go to this restaurant, they may not have it necessarily on the menu. But for me, that would. That would replace like chicharrones or um, any other oh. sort of like fried, you know, salty, crispy right. thing. I would, I would rather actually eat this. This it was just phenomenal. But, anyways, I digress. <laughs> I um, that sounds amazing. I'm I'm sold. Like I'd like to go back to Liz. It's one of the places I'd actually like to do a redo trip on because that's where we got COVID. <laughs> no. So, so we were so like seven days of our ten day trip was spent locked up in our airbnb but oh. yes i would love to like this is going to be on my list when i go back <laughs> yeah it was it was great experimenting with different types of food there in lisbon and i know that a lot of people including myself kind of hate i guess tourist restaurants you know and sometimes the restaurants that like anthony bourdain goes to or these travel hosts go to they're very popular with tourists as well but that doesn't mean the food's bad. But initially, like my mind always goes towards this is not going to be the best bang for my buck usually. But I agree. in Lisbon, uh, we went to uh, Ramiro's, you know, the, the the seafood restaurant. And it's very popular amongst locals, uh, tourists. It's been on countless TV shows. I am telling you, like that was like one of the best seafood meals like I've ever had in my entire life. Did you get a chance to go? Yes. That was one of the, we were able to extend our trip um, a few more days. And that was one of the places we were able to visit. And that was also on our list. And I agree, like Ramirez is worth the hype and the wait in line. That was a really great, like seafood. I love, like seafood is my favorite type of food. <laughs> Good. Yeah. I'm allergic to crab and shellfish <gasps> but i will take a claritin and then go because that I, nothing will stop me from eating seafood i love <laughs> no oh well hopefully it was well worth it then yeah <laughs> yes it was it was it was awesome i really love the scarlet ponds oh yeah yep those were great um that was a that they were very unique and we were really and my husband's not really big on seafood as much as I am but he likes to humor me um but he said it was like the best garlic butter shrimp he, he's had from his trip in Lisbon yeah. I think I think they do have the best garlic butter sh- uh, shrimp hands down like I really do um it's they put a little bit of chili flake in there too so it's just a, like a little spicy but spicy, yeah oh uh, yeah it it really is it sounds simple but we tried it at a couple different places. Yeah, Ramiro's. It's just a whole nother level. I don't know what they do. I don't know why it's so delicious. It just is. And then the uh, the Prego sandwich uh, for like seafood restaurants. That's that was like the best dessert in the world. 
I didn't get to try it because we were so full. And <laughs> I, had to, I had to eat the, um, that was a crab with the mixed, like, meat inside. No. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I had that crab there. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I had to eat that myself because my husband <laughs> couldn't eat it. So I, I really enjoyed every single seafood I've had there. I would have loved to try the Prego sandwich if I wasn't so full. Um, so I think that's another redo on my list as well. There you go. Just go back. Yeah. And anyone listening to, yeah, Portugal, Lisbon, Portugal specifically since I've been there, but Porto is also another good one. But it's just, it's a different kind of place that less people travel to. So when I first started traveling, my mind first went to like, I got to go to Paris. I got to go to London. I got to go to Rome. And my first real big trip though was actually to Barcelona, Spain. And those places that are a little bit less on the radar for tourists that are less, a little less kind of like iconically travel e, you know, for people doing like their first big trips like overseas. I think Lisbon's a good one. If it's like your first time to Europe, I think it has great food that is both familiar, but yet still new that kind of fits a lot of different palettes. And it's unique in of itself to where it's not super, I guess, clean cut, if that makes sense. If you go to like places in Spain and London, you know, and and in Paris, all the streets are kind of like even and all of the tiles in the sidewalk are even and all the buildings are nice and neat. In Lisbon, it's a little different. Things are a little bit une- uneven, like on the sidewalks. They have these really beautiful limestone sidewalks and sometimes they get really, really narrow and then they get really wide and then you're just traveling through the streets. It's a little bit more adventurous that I think kind of triggers that need to explore just a little bit more. I agree. I think if you want to be surprised, Lisbon is definitely the place to be surprised because you never know what like corner, like when you turn a corner, you never know if it's going to be like a park or if it's going to be like an alleyway of bars or if it's going to be um, like the uh, the riverside. So I, I totally agree. I think um, the the mild chaos of Lisbon is is what makes it so charming. Um, I remember we wanted to go to this restaurant that Phil went to from Somebody Feed Phil. Oh, yeah. Oh, he did such a good job there. Um, I, I loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was in the, let's see, his Lisbon, Lisbon's Riverside. I think it was um, Ponto Final. Ponto, so yeah, the, the point, we yeah. Wa- yes, we wanted to go to Ponto Final. Um, took the, we took the, it was like inspired by somebody feed, feed Phil. We took the ferry over, um, but the line was crazy. It was so long. Oh, no. I think this was like shortly after the show aired. Mm-hmm. Oh, but we said, now we're skipping this. Um, it's been exposed. <laughs> <laughs> and all the knows. tourists are here. But we kept walking and they, we turned a corner and there was a park that we came up on. We just 
sat down on the grass because you can see the bridge the the bridge from there it's a it's like a really nice view of the sunset so we said well um let's just sit here and figure out what we're going to do next um and we just sat on the lawn and a lot of people started arriving and people started having picnics there and suddenly um a group of people showed up and started setting up a tiki bar all right and, and started making drinks um, for everyone, there's like a guy who came, started playing his guitar, and it was like a park party. And everyone there <laughs> was right. like eating and drinking well after sunset. Um, and my husband and I were just so happy to have not gone to Ponto Final and instead ended up at that park because of what we were able to experience. And And I think that... Um, we made friends with the bartenders from that uh, tiki bar, so I'll 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 send you a link to their Instagram. But yeah, they're uh, we follow them on Instagram, and I think they're still there doing doing that. Awesome. Well, it's pretty cool though. I'm glad that you mentioned that because what I've learned, and it seems like you you follow through and push through too, is when something doesn't go the way you plan. Don't let that ruin your experience. You know, that's where the adventure is, you know, is exploring and when things don't go according to plan. And then you just took a pivot, found this park, and then you were just rewarded with this amazing experience because you weren't just like pouting and like letting this, you know, kind of ruin your situation or just letting this kind of get to you that you didn't get to eat at this one restaurant that you really wanted to try. Instead, you went to go find this amazing park, you had a good time, and then, you know, just serendipity kind of comes in and then all of a sudden you're surrounded by a bunch of people having a good time. And that's the cool part about traveling. It's just sometimes you find yourself in these really fun circumstances, even if it comes from something not going your way. And I think a lot of people need to kind of understand that about travel too, especially when we're planning our vacations and when we're trying to have the best time possible. And we plan a whole bunch, but sometimes, you know, things just happen, you know, unexpected things. And we just have to still enjoy those moments and find, okay, what other great opportunity do I have now? I agree. And I think that's the magic of travel is being open to a different experience that you might not have planned. I'm a type A planner. My previous (laughs) job was as a media planner in advertising before I moved abroad And so I'm just a planner through and through. And sometimes even I have to remind myself like, hey, you know, this restaurant's closed or this restaurant is too busy. Um, I need to open myself up to something else. And especially as someone who is obsessed with food and food travel, I I get it in my head that like, oh, I'm going to like be sitting at this restaurant. I don't know if this is something that you think too but I'll be like thinking I'm going to be sitting at this restaurant I'm going to try these foods that I've read about and um, I want to have a conversation with the people at the restaurant and ask them questions and I just kind of like start to date like fantasize about what that experience is going to be but then I I realize like when you're actually doing it it's it's not go that way at all and um, when it doesn't go your your way you have to be able to like be flexible and be able to just 
be open to a different experience. A lot of people, I think, lose motivation to travel when, you know, they miss a flight or something like else goes wrong where suddenly a establishment isn't open anymore and you don't know what to do. You should be able to be able to bounce back from that and adapt and and most of all, like feel present and be present to your environment and like what you're doing, because you're still at a place that you've never known. There's still a lot more to learn about a different place. Uh, this restaurant is one of many restaurants and there are many restaurants is one of many different places that you can explore in a brand new place. And sometimes that's hard to remember when things don't go your way. Absolutely. I I find myself talking to people and one of their biggest fears is just like, I don't want to have a bad meal. I don't want to have things not go according to plan. Because I'm just like you, like, I'm very much a type A person. I love planning. But over the years, I've really come to accept the flexibility that is required, <laughs> I guess, if you're doing some more travel and you want to have a good time. Because if you say yes more often to opportunities or when saying yes to meeting new people in new circumstances that kind of come your way, the more adventures you'll have. And goodness, I, I think back to one of the f- really big trips I had. It was the first time I went to Japan. Uh, my wife and I went over there and we were really lucky and we caught like the peak uh, bloom of the cherry blossoms. And it was, it was unforgettable, this amazing, amazing, beautiful scenery around us. And we went on this fun pub crawl and the pub crawl led us to, you know, it forces you to be in social circumstances with people and a good pub crawl will like have you do games and talk to people so that you can socialize and maybe make some friends. So we did this pub crawl and then we made friends with three or four different people and we hung out with those people like the entire time after the pub crawl, like while we were in Tokyo and we were just kind of like, we did different things and we went to, went to different restaurants and different bars. And it was great to just kind of like see that firsthand just by saying, yes, making friends. And they said, Hey, we're going to go over here. Do you want to come? Like, yeah, I'll go. Hey, we're going to go check out this place tomorrow. Do you want to come? Yeah, I'll go. <laughs> and then it's just pretty cool when you have these great memories just because you decided to not go according to plan because I wasn't planning all that. It was just, we just said yes to the opportunities that were available to us. I 100% believe in that. I actually have this thing that I do where whoever I'm with when I travel, uh, I I join a food tour in the beginning of that itinerary. So when I arrive, say, like in Lisbon, we would do a food tour on our first or second day. And we meet people in the food tour. And after the food tour, I, and I'm, I'm, when, unless it's food, I feel very, like, I love talking about food. It's like my passion. So I'm very, I seem very extroverted now, but like, I'm actually an introverted person. But food, I will, it totally gets me out of my shell. And I ask the food tour guide usually for a drink after the food tour. So (laughs) 
Yeah. So usually they'll sometimes they'll say yes because I mean it's a free drink on me. Or sometimes they'll say no and then I'll be like who wants to go for a drink after the food tour? Because usually some people that do the food tours um well there's like two. so the if if the food tour guide says yes, you get to have you get to have like one-on-one time with the food tour guide who's usually from that city or is also just Love, loves food as much as you do and will have a super local recommendation and that's kind of where I always try to lead to of hey where should I really eat and where should where's you know where do you go drinking after work where do you go drinking with your friends and they're happy to tell you um another option is that if they're not available someone else in the group will say you usually say yes and some some of those people may have stayed in Lisbon for a week by that time so they will have had visited places that you may not have had on your list yet or know a good bar or restaurant to go to after the food tour so that's that's kind of like my thing is that I am the one insinuating the yes on people <laughs> and try to get people <laughs> to, you know, recommend other places to eat as well. Oh, absolutely. That's a, that's a good one. Like hanging out with, you know, the, the tour guide and other people. It's just, I'm kind of the same way. Yeah. Very introverted. But when I hear like food, I'm like, you guys talking about food? Hey, hey, what? <laughs> I like food. <laughs> and then it's um, when I was in sales, they they teach you a lot of things about conversation. And one of the things they, they tell you is find the 1% that you have in common with somebody else and just keep talking about that. If you if you want to make some friends or build that rapport with somebody, just find that, that little bit that you have in common. And for me, it's always usually food because most people do like food in some way, shape or form. So it's like, okay. And if they're on a food tour, most of them like food, you know? Yes. <laughs> You're already there for that one common thing. And someone always has some has something they want to say in terms of, I just had this like really great meal at this place. You should really go there. And and the conversations kind of already started for you because you're talking about food during the tour already. That's right. That's right. Okay. Yeah. It's fun to make those sort of friends and to have those experiences with other people because those are the ones you just remember the most a lot of times. And I do have a good food memory and I love like eating out and doing that. Of course, that's why, you know, I have this food blog and this podcast, but some of the best memories I have from traveling was just the random people that you meet along the way. And then you just create yeah. this unique experience for yourself and it just kind of happened organically on its own. You're like, okay, this is, this is pretty awesome. Yeah, I love and I love how um, it, it I think it's like the lowest. It feels like very low pressure. Usually when you're going to a party for the first time that your friends having like if your friends having a birthday party, like for me as an introvert, I go in there and I think, oh, I'm going to have to meet like all these people and try and figure out what to talk to them about. But then when you're traveling, there's already a high of travel and you're you no one knows anyone when you join like a tour group. So everybody wants to meet each other. So it's just so much easier to meet people as well. And you're all there at the same place. So you know that, you know, they also pick to be at that place. 
and you already have that in common. So it's just so much easier to meet. Oh, yeah, people. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, now I'm curious about maybe a few places you've traveled to that you weren't expecting it to be like as good as it was, or maybe a place maybe surprised you with their cuisine or something that you ate, or you had just this crazy cool experience that kind of caught you off guard. I will say that I've always found something I liked somewhere. I don't want to sound too much of a diplomat, but I would say I've always found something I liked at the places I've been to, but it took me a few visits to London to find something I liked. And the third time I visited London, I enjoyed the food and the people much more because I was with a friend who lived there. Um, I think it's really important to always kind of like try to find like that local like knowledge the expert or someone who's had their experience and will be able to provide you with something that they know that you're going to enjoy and that's why I also you know talk to food guides and ask them out for drinks because I know that like they have Um, the local expertise that I wouldn't have yeah places that's blown my mind it just kind of was unexpected I would say have you been in Venice Italy no no I haven't so I visited so I did a solo trip to Europe in 2018 and Venice was on my list and I stayed in Venice for seven days I believe and I was in the islands I stayed in uh Canarillo which is a northern district of the islands um and it was great I loved it and many people will tell you that Venice is always packed it's busy the food's not great um but I learned that a lot of the people or most of the people that have told me that after my experience didn't stay there they usually trained in from another city and would spend the day there and then leave and the city is actually really calm and peaceful before the tourists come and after the tourists leave (laughs) and it's it's beautiful and I felt really safe and I would like just walk by myself walk through different alleyways um and just I, I felt like I I've I've never felt as transported back in time as I did walking in the streets of Venice at 11 p.m. at night by myself. Um, and it was really quiet. And there's still some like restaurants that would be open, but um, there it's just really different from what I was told by others who had visited Venice before me. Um, Their food culture is also different. I think a lot of people who come to Venice probably look for like pizza or like pasta, but Venice isn't, Venetian food isn't really Italian food. You know, like most of the food is seafood, fish. All right. Fish and, you know, they have their own kind of tapas culture, chiquetti. And you go to like the different chiquetterias and you have like many, many, like, I guess you would call them pinchos as the equivalent of pinchos in Spain. I haven't been to Spain, but um, that's what how it was explained to me and have a little bit of uh, 
those throughout the day so you're not really you don't really have like set meal times you're kind of like grazing throughout the day as as you go about um the different areas of Venice and then usually have um a little bit of wine here and in there as you go through as you walk through the islands and that's that was basically what my week was in Venice and it was great I I really enjoyed it um yeah, I found I found it to be very unique uh food wise and um it yeah, food wise it was it was just different from what I've experienced in other Italian cities. Yeah, I've I'd be apprehensive of going to Venice. That's why I haven't gone yet because it is yeah. so tourist packed and of course it looks beautiful but there's all these you know, people all around all the time, but the way you just described it and how it kind of is when kind of the tourists kind of get going, especially when they're, you know, coming and going so much, it's just like, oh yeah, that is, that sounds like my kind of thing, especially when we used to kind of like step back in time and just walking through these historical streets. And then when you think about it, like these streets have been here a very, very long time. And to experience the city in that kind of calm way, it gets me excited to give it a shot actually and to see that for myself and to and to give it a shot it's just sometimes my own biases can keep me from having a good time and that's always a constant struggle for for me in a lot of different ways it's just oh i think this place will be better or i think this place will be better or that place is too packed and sometimes i don't give it a shot and it, it can be hard cuz you there's only so much money and time but you just kind of convince me like oh, maybe i should take that trip to Venice and see for myself the beautiful streets and the canals. And I really think it's just finding a pocket of neighborhood that's very local and not a lot of, it's not easy to get to. And the secret, and I feel like I'm letting a secret out, but I think the secret is that a lot of people train in and they go straight to like um, San Marco Square. And it's a really easy uh access from the trains to San Marcos Square but I had to take two um water taxis to get to my hostel which was a regenerated monastery like it used to be a monastery and I got to like stay in the rooms and then like I would I would leave my room and there'd be paintings those like ceiling paintings um the frescoes that are just huge and um there was a really big courtyard in the middle of the hostel um our room faced a quiet canal and there wasn't a lot of people because it wasn't easy to get there but i realized that there are a lot of alleyways that connect venice and the different areas and i was able to walk from canarillo to san marco in i think like 25 minutes yeah and and walk back and it, it it wasn't it wasn't difficult to get around on foot is what i'm saying <laughs> even if you're like living if you're staying in a corner of venice that's quiet oh absolutely okay wow you make it sound so amazing and romantic i love it <laughs> yeah i i was also because i also arrived in venice with that same thought of adult disneyland is what they usually call it right and how there are like a lot of crowds and it's but you can avoid those places and just stick to the smaller neighborhoods yeah 
Yeah, that that's a really good tip. And I think I'll I'll keep that in mind too, because I'm trying to figure out a time to go back to Italy because we went to Italy a while ago and it wasn't the best experience. We're just in Rome and Rome wasn't quite the city I was I was expecting. Unfortunately, my biases kind of got in the way, my own thoughts of what to expect, and I had unrealistic expectations. And I've actually talked to a few podcast guests about Rome and they're like, you got to give it another shot. You got to stay in these different places and definitely go to other parts of Italy for sure. And yeah, that, that kind of uh, gets me pointed in the uh, right direction. <laughs> um, yeah, I but- think you just have to find those like hidden neighborhoods is if it's difficult to get through, it's probably you're going to be your most authentic experience. Is what I've learned. <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, switching gears here, um, I'd like to talk to you about some of your travels over the past year. What have been, you know, a, h- a few highlights? What what really, I guess, gets you excited to return me to these places in the future? So we were in Central Europe again for Christmas markets. We're trying to make it, me and my husband are trying to make it a tradition um, to visit Christmas markets in different countries. And we were able to go and visit Zagreb, Graz, Vienna, Ljubljana, and Bled. We were able to go to both city, to both areas and visit their Christmas markets and compare it to the Christmas markets that we visited the previous year. Vienna has an amazing Christmas market scene. What I really like about their Christmas markets is that each one is themed and it's very rustic and they have a lot of regulations around the type of vendors you can have. So uh, people who sell at the Christmas markets in Vienna have to be local crafters. Um, And some Christmas markets also have to be coming. The food they serve, some, some of them have to be organic or some of them have to come from a certain place in Austria. So I really like the way they set up the themes of the Christmas markets there. And every every um, market is different for every country. Like Zagreb was like the party Christmas. <laughs> My husband and I call it the party Christmas market <laughs> because it was like just, it was huge. It was like a system of Christmas. They were all connected. And it was just like a huge celebration all over the city, which was awesome because the the energy was always like on cranked up to like 10. Whereas oh, like yeah. the, Vien- the Viennese Christmas markets were like very warm, cozy, like, you know, you take your time in each one and ask the artisans about their cra- their crafts, what they're selling. But in Zagreb, it was very much like, let's, let's party let's celebrate um there were like dj booths at some of the christmas <laughs> markets All but right. it was so much fun like the different styles that you get from the different um countries um during that season is very unique before that i think one of my favorite experiences from last year was i got to do rit, rit valley in kakheti which rit valley is the grape harvest season in georgia and I was able to visit uh, my friend's uh, wine cellar and I helped him harvest his grapes and make wine um, in Quevery wine. And also he has some European style wine. Um, but we woke up at six o'clock in the morning 
and went to the we went to the vineyards uh, that he was growing his grapes. And we were able to, you know, cut the grapes and bring it back to his home. And we crushed it. We put it in the quivery. And then that whole time, there are kind of little ceremonious things that you do. So when we were out in the vineyards, he made um, barbecue for us. So he set up like a fire pit in the middle of the vineyard. We had we had mitzwadi, which is skewers, pork uh, skewers. Mm-hmm. And we drank some of his previous wine from the, pa- the previous season. Um, and then when we got back to his house after we had um, crushed the grapes and put the grapes in the quivery, we made King Kali with his family. And then we had a Supra uh, feast oh, wow. uh, all together and just to celebrate, celebrate everybody's hard work and the time that we spent together. And that was a whole day, like 6 a.m. to 2 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. Yeah. Wow, that that is a long day. Lots yes. of delicious food, it sounds like, too. Goodness. Yes. That was, um, and that's across all of Kakheti um, during harvest season. And then uh, Kakheti is similar to what you would think of, like, wine country in California. Um, that's their biggest wine country, but they also have uh vineyards on the western side of Georgia and their harvest season is later than um Kakheti. So this year I want to try and do it Valley and the western side of Georgia. Wow. And yeah. it seems like you know your stuff about wine too because you had you had written told me that you have like a wine certification as well by from using Georgian wines. Yeah, so I have a level two WSAT level two certification. Um, for wine and it's really I got it because I was really interested in wine and I don't really know much about wine but I wanted to make sure that when I do buy wine I know what I'm buying and (laughs) I'm not you know wasting my money and I know how to read labels Um, and this certification is really more for wine enthusiasts yeah like like yourself and you can you can do like level one, which I did, but really it's like really basic. Like you'll learn about their systematic approach to tasting wine, which is called SAT. And you'll learn about how you look at wine, the color of wine, how it tastes, and then like your thoughts or how it smells and then how it tastes and then your thoughts on wine, on the wine that you just drank. And during COVID, like I said, I had a lot of time. So they had online classes for level two but it's not really easy to get european wine here in georgia and the classes are centered around french wine and also like south american wine and california like american wines and you're supposed to taste them as you go through this class that's run online interesting but we were only able like my friend and I did it together but we were only able to source a few of those wines that they recommended that we taste here and the rest we filled in with Georgian wine so I was able to have like a crash course on tasting Georgian wine during that time because of the certification class um 
And that's when I was able to taste uh, Western, like Imeridian wine, Western wine. And then there's also uh, wine from like the Jaria region and then obviously like wine from Kakheti as well. So le- I learned about the different styles of wine, the different styles of query making between the two uh, major region wine regions in Georgia. So I, I really enjoyed that part because I think that was really unique. Um, and I'm glad that they they let us do that um, to try and make it a part of our own. We kind of basically tried to make our own curriculum of the different wine tastings that we had. Yeah, goodness. Yeah, because Georgian wine is probably some of my favorite wine ever. It's so different, unique in its own way. Lots of different styles that I think a lot of the rest of the world and like Europe really don't, I guess, embrace. And it's actually hard for me to find Georgian wine um, anywhere. And then I live in I'm in Denver. I actually found a place that has oh, nice. like some some really cool Quevery, uh Georgian wine. I'm like, oh, awesome. So I got it for my wife for uh, her birthday a while ago. But it's nice. just, it's cool that the wine is so unique. What What's your favorite part about drinking the wine in Georgia? Um, everything. <laughs> I think that's hard to answer. All of, I think all of, all of it. it, all of drinking it. all the wine. <laughs> I think just the philosophy of wine is amazing in Georgia. Just how they talk about Coevry is where wine is born, is buried and bor- born. And it's all about like uh, the, how do you say? It compa- they compare it to like the re- the rebirth cycle of being reborn where wine is buried in with a quivery and then after six months of being aged in the wine you you uncover the quivery and the wine is the grapes are reborn as wine it's so poetic and Georgians are really well known for that is how the 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 art of making wine and and how everything is just has this philosophy behind it so I really like that about how they view wine here. Um, and wine is just the thing that just surpasses so many things in the culture, like in terms of like how much it's so accepted as part of life. Um, Georgia is a, a very orthodox country. They're very religious people and they have... Um, times where they have to fast and you're not allowed to eat certain food but wine you can drink wine <laughs> anytime at any time of your fasting oh, that's awesome wine is the exception um yeah so i think i think that's what i like about it it's just the culture and the way it's made i think there was someone from a super that I went to, he's seven. He's from Sevenetti, and he's also is this like this really passionate Georgian man. And um, the Tamada had him do a toast. The Tamada is a the toast master, you could say, but he can point to someone during supra and be like, "You do a toast." So this man from Sevenetti did a toast about how every wine is so much like life in this in the sense that just circling back to how things like things don't go your way because when you make every wine it's not for sure that that wine is going to come out good because you're putting in everything in there like you're putting in 
the grapes, the skin, the pips, like some stems, and you're locking it up for a few months and then hope that what it, you get is good. And now they have, they've standardized it a lot more, obviously now in our modern day, but in that sense of tradition of you might come out, you might do everything you can to make this wine the best th- tasting that it can be, but it still may not come out good. Oh, and interesting. you have to try again the next time. And it's just that sense of like how it parallels life again of like, things don't go- work out. So just make <laughs> more wine or turn that wine into cha-cha or <laughs> something else um, is I think is also really co- fun, fun philosophy of wine as well, of every wine. That's really interesting, that Georgian philosophy, though, of it seems like wine runs through Georgian's veins. <laughs> you know, it's like a part of them more than, I don't know, I feel like in a lot of other places. And it's great to see that attachment, that understanding that this is such an important part of who we are. And supposedly, Georgia is the oldest winemaking culture in the entire world. Um, according to archaeology from what we know so far, which is kind of cool. Right. And yes. it's just a great experience. So if people who are wine lovers and they haven't gone to Georgia and tried their wine, they're missing out, I think, for sure. <laughs> uh, I think so. And I think it's so unique that whenever someone try, tries to tell me, tell me, like they tell me, can you explain Georgian wine to every wine? And they say, well, it's white wine, but it has tannins like a red wine. And it like, they're just like, I don't understand what you're saying. Like, it doesn't make sense. And I think they, they try to fit like Jordan wine, Coivre wine just doesn't fit into anything. And especially if you're trying to compare it to like European technology where you age wine in barrels or you age wine in steel tanks, it's not, the process is not that it's its own complete thing. And you, and the only way to, to be able to understand it is to taste it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, with all your travels around the world, like you, so you're living in Georgia now and, You've traveled through a lot of Europe and you've been to a lot of great places this past year. What is kind of like your favorite dish that you've eaten in the past year? I go back to Georgia again. Oh, yeah. <laughs> was, um, it was, it's not, it's nothing fancy. It was, we were all, we all had finished drinking um, and, you know, we're kind of, um, people were leaving. Some of us had stayed at our friend's um, house, our friend who's the winemaker, and his mom made uh, atria, which is the leftover kinkali dough, that, and then she fries it with sunflower oil and eggs and seasons it lightly and just serves it on a plate and as you're sobering up, you eat it. And it's the most, it's the most humble dish, but it's like the thing that like you really need at that time. Um, And yeah, that was, that's probably one of my more memorable dishes because you wonder, right? Like when you make kinkali or in kinkali making, 
what happens with a leftover dough. And in Georgia, you don't waste food. And they're very good at um, reusing um, scraps for something else. Like in wine, you have this the, the stems and the skin that gets left over once the wine is made. That gets turned into cha-cha. Cha-cha means stem. And cha-cha is, as you know, um, the liquor, the wine, the Georgian like liquor that's like 40% proof. Yep. <laughs> that is that's where that comes from. They don't waste that. They make it. They distill it and they turn it into um liquor. And same with the Kinkali scraps. They turn it into this other dish that is just like one of the best things you can eat at 2 a.m. in the morning after a supra. Oh man. That sounds great, actually. Yeah, I can see why that was uh, <laughs> yeah. well, you're, it's just something that you needed to eat. You're like, and then I'm sure it tasted sublime in every possible way. Yeah, it was great. It was good. All right. Well, that uh, that brings our talk to a close here. And I really appreciate the time. If our listeners want to follow your adventures around the world, what is the best place for them to do that? Um, you, they can visit my site at seasfoodwilltravel.com or they can follow me on Instagram at seasfoodwilltravel. Oh, that was such a great talk. I'm so happy that Joanne really shared her heart about her love for Georgia and how she just moved there. You know, she just went and did it. I think that's so great and courageous because even for me, I get a little bit intimidated about thinking about moving to another country because if you don't know, like my wife and I will travel for months at a time, but then we always come back to the United States and actually stay in one place for a long time is a bit intimidating for me, but it's encouraging to hear how much she's enjoyed it and how she took that step of, hey, I want to do this, so I'm going to do it. And I can commend that uh, 100%. And that's really, really cool. But uh, when it comes to Tbilisi, I think if you're looking for a new place and you've traveled to a lot of different areas around the world and you want something a little bit different, a little bit off the beaten path, and I think Tbilisi is probably an amazing choice. The food's amazing. The people are awesome. And I mean, we just, we talked about it for, you know, an hour and a half. So uh, you get the idea, but it's definitely a unique experience that you can tell your friends and just have these crazy cool memories about this place that not many people get a chance to see for themselves. Joanne has written about Tbilisi, about Georgian food, and she just has a lot of great resources available to anyone who has listened to this and wants to kind of discover more about uh, Georgian food itself, or maybe you're planning a trip there. And some of the other places we've talked about, there's going to be some links to Joanne's blog in the show notes of the page. Go to nomadicfoodist.com slash travel. That's nomadicfoodist.com slash travel for the show notes of this page. And you can have all the resources Joanne wants you to have to make your next trip amazing. And if you liked this episode, please hit that subscribe button so that every single week you get a brand new episode of amazing travelers and delicious food from all around the world. Thank you so much again for listening. And remember, eat with an adventurous heart, no matter where you go.